Good evening and welcome to another episode of Nigeria Politics Weekly. As usual, my name is Michael and co-hosting with me is Phoenix. Today we have one guest. Our guest is Ikemesit. Ikemesit is the head of research at SBM Intelligence in Nigeria. Now we're discussing three topics. Firstly, we'll discuss this drama, rumored drama between Governor Nyesun Wike and Atikwa Bubaka, the PDP's presidential candidate. Secondly, we'll discuss Buhari's approval and then reversal of the SEPLAT acquisition of uh, Mobile's assets in Nigeria. And thirdly, we'll discuss a leaked memo from Governor El Rufai of Kaduna to President Buhari, in which he's basically said, uh, terrorists have are competing with him for control of Kaduna State. So the first topic, Wike v. Atiku. Now, Phoenix, the newspapers were reporting this week that Wike had taken Atiku to court to challenge the PDP's primaries, claiming that the way it was conducted rendered it null and void. Well, then Wike, a few hours or maybe I think a day after, came forward and said, actually, he, he never uh, filed any sort of lawsuit. So, in your view, can you tell us what is going on? Is there is there is there tension between Wiki and Atiku? Phoenix, hi Michael, and uh, hi Kemesit. Thanks for joining us this week. Hello, listeners. <laughs> I think <laughs> I think uh, I almost thought for a minute that that was a rhetorical question, but well, let, let's. Let's take you forward. I think I think anyone who's followed um, uh, PDP politics over the last uh, two cycles. I mean, when we go back to 2019, and of course the 2023 primaries would would at least would at least say that they have a sense that there's some frostiness between. Uh, Atiku and Wike, I think it will not be out of out of um, it will not be unreasonable. I mean, let me put it this way: yeah, it will not be unreasonable to to make that assumption. During the twenty nineteen primaries, obviously Atiku, uh, sorry, Wike supported Tambua, uh, who lost out to Atiku, uh, and this time around, Wike himself was vying for the uh, the PDP ticket and and believed very strongly that. He, he had a chance at, at winning it um, until, of course, the drama that happened on the night of the primaries, the presidential primaries, where last minute uh, Tambual, the governor of Sokoto State, who was also vying for it, stepped down and, and then told his delegates uh, to support Atiku's bid. And if we look at the difference between um, the votes for Atiku and for Wike clearly that that played a big part, and we also, at least those of us who follow again, saw the video where the PDP chairman Yocha Yu was hailing the Tambo Alpha being was it the MVP or I can't remember what he said exactly, but basically being the the star of the show, basically being kingmaker. So, and those who I mean, it has been reported, and I think it's widely understood that, 
there is a cordial relationship between uh, Tambual and Wike, um, which has been nurtured over time. And um, I mean, as I said before, uh, Wike was a very strong supporter of Tambual's beat the last time. Um, so one can imagine that that betrayal really hurt Wike. And we've seen, first of all, his, his withdrawal and, and, you know, First, I don't remember him congratulating Atiku or being willing to play an active role, being such a, an influential uh, member of the party and one of the very senior leaders. You could practically say he was one of the backbones of PDP after they lost out in 2015. And so, you know, when you look at all of that, it, it is clear that there is some frostiness there. And then when we heard that there was a suit that was filed against uh, PDP, Atiku, and Tambua by Wiki, uh, as reported by the papers. Uh, one, I mean, a lot of people thought that this was a, a, a further pointer to that the, the unease in, in that camp and the, and the issues between both men, despite the fact that the PDP had been trying to do some reconciliation. Um, but at the end of the day, I mean, we've also seen that, that uh, Wiki has denied uh, being behind the suit. We've also seen Cosmos Indukwe come out and say he's the one who filed a suit. And so the drama continues. Um, and it remains to be seen if there can be any true reconciliation. We've seen we, we can show very clearly that it, I mean, it's going to make it an uncomfortable period uh, for the PDP and for Atiku. We've seen his uh, frolics with members of the APC. I mean, and all sorts of things come out. It just goes to to show that look, if you if you refuse um, to do things in a just and equitable way, I mean, these are the things that that come up. Um, I mean, PDP having jet jettisoned zoning and deciding to go the way they did to enable Article Win uh, should have been prepared that some people will simply not be happy about it, and most especially that Wiki would not be happy about it. And given the outsized role that he's played in the party over the last eight, seven to eight years, it stands to reason that he will feel aggrieved. And so they need to find a way to, to solve that. And, um, you know, some of the things that he talks about and some of the things, I mean, the, the initial reaction from a lot, a lot in the Atiku camp was almost as though they could brush him off. And it, I mean, it's happened, it's happened, he should move on. But I think now they are realizing that he hasn't moved on. It's going to create a significant issue for them. Thank you, Phoenix. I just want to press you on two points. The first is, Wike himself, before the primaries, came forward and said, look, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to take parts in these in this vote and whoever wins i will support the person and even after atiku was declared winner wiki congratulated atiku so the first question is what 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 does he want and secondly is the fact that the uh, idea was that there should be zoning but most people felt it was the turn of the southeast to produce the candidates but wiki himself conspired against the southeast hoping to get the ticket for himself. So who, who, is he, who is he looking to blame in all these things, Felix? 
I, you know my stance. Um, I believe very strongly that the that that the presidency should go to the southeast. And if there was any party that was supposed to enable that happen, it was the PDP, and they chose not to. And so I'm 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 I'm, I'm with you entirely. That I mean, first of all, he he participated in the farce that was oh let's throw it open oh there's no zoning blah 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 thinking that he had he had already secured votes and secured support that would get him there and so his actions yeah can be termed to be that of a of a sore loser the but it goes back to the the main grounds that he has held in the sense that even from, if you go back to 2018, when Tiku came back and Saraki and all those guys, I mean, he, he, all, he, he was always cold towards them because he was like, look, you guys um, took the party to the cleaners. You're the reason why we lost in the first place. If, you, if, if we remember, Wike was a member of Goodluck Jonathan's government. He was a minister uh, in, in that administration before he, of course, ran for the governorship uh, in 2015. And so he remembers that, I mean, all the shenanigans and the way they, they, they left the party from the MPDP allowed APC to come into power. And then they now come back and all of a sudden the party is being handed over to them while the stalwarts who kept the lights on and made sure that in some way or fashion the party remained in existence are being brushed aside. So in as much as he, he is party to the fast that 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 is the 2023 primaries that they've held, he also has a point as to look, why are we rewarding people who showed disloyalty to the party at the expense of those of us who were here? So I mean they're both sides. Um, as far as I'm concerned, the original scene is uh, I mean the, the, the original scene for me was the the article Saraki disloyalty, but once PDP took them back, for me that that was where I mean that was done. The moment you allowed them to come back, and article was named your flag bearer in 2019. That's all done. You can't you can't revisit that conversation. Then, for me, what's the most critical issue today is the fact that you refuse to acknowledge zoning and particularly to zone to that region that we all know should have been the one um, presenting a candidate and you played a role in that. So for me, it's, I mean, he, I mean, he, he chopped breakfast that he wasn't expecting to and, and he has to live with it. But if he feels that he has enough clout to create problems for Atiku, <laughs> who am I to say he should not? <laughs> so, I mean, at the end of the day, they need to sort themselves out. They knew that they, there would be a problem. They can't assume that they didn't know that, or they can't act that, act surprised, like they didn't expect that, I mean, that he would, he, I mean, that, yes, he, he may accept the result. I, I still I still posit that if Wiki was truly on board in 2019, I mean, PDP would have done far better than they did in River State. I mean, you need to compare the results from 2015 to 2019 and see the decimation of 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 uh, the voting block, but we know he. I mean, yes, he was having a running battle with Amiti, but he didn't give it his all, and so that's what they can expect again. 
and maybe to an even worse degree this time around if he is unhappy and remains so. Thank you, Phoenix. Let me come to Kemesit. Kemesit, the first question I have for you, obviously being a your 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 political analyst or researcher, is what exactly does Wike want? Okay, he's angry with the way the elections were conducted, but but really, what 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 can be done for him now? And the second question then is. Does Wiki actually even have any leverage over Atiku in terms of the 2023 elections in Kemesit? Okay, um, thanks for uh, having me on your um, on your podcast once again. And um, uh, I, I mean, I've got to say that Phoenix's thoughts on the subject matter have been largely on the money. Um, I think the second question is probably a bit, a bit more straightforward to, uh, to, to interrogate and answer. And the thing is, um, Wiki's leverage, if it does exist, is wafer thin um, at this point. He's a, um, he's a governor at the tail end of his second term. He's... Um, he's not running for any competitive office in this cycle at any level. Um, some would say his um, all-in strategy of his all-in put all the eggs in the basket strategy of um, of what was essentially a moonshot bid for the presidency was something of an undoing for him because he he has no fallback right either in competing for the senate or the house of representatives which is probably um a race he would almost certainly have won um and so his leverage within the party to compel um party brokers and especially article to give his demands right any credence or to even seriously wrestle with his angst is almost non-existent and so from that standpoint um one would say the only the only gameplay that seems to exist for wiki at this point is to um threaten and i would argue go go so far as to carry out that threat of delivering river states for the opposition. Oh, rather, delivering river states for the, the ruling party. Um, as, to, as to what can make Wiki happy at this point, I'm not, I'm not certain if that's a question that, that should be the subject of much political analysis because uh, really, what can happen? The PDP would definitely not upend the results of the presidential primary. That's completely out of the question. However, um, incongruous and um, offensive the preconditions that led to Atiku's nomination were, uh, the PDP would almost certainly lose face and lose pretty much every remaining dollop of credibility that it 
that it still maintains with the Nigerian or with the average Nigerian voter if it goes back on what what many still consider to be um, a mostly competitive and democratic exercise, right? So um, what Wiki really, really wants, he can't get. Um, it's, it's not clear that there are any other carrots that the PDP can offer right now. The party is doing its, its down best to, in running probably the most unserious campaign any opposition party has ever uh, put together against the ruling party that is this unpopular, right? The PDP could certainly be more disciplined. And, and so the, the concern with the malcontents that still remain within the PDP's um, current political structure is that the party doesn't seem to have and hold any reasonable chance or oh, it's not give or oh, it's certainly not giving it let me not completely rule and um, let me let me not completely rule them out it's not giving it it's it's not giving this particular race at least as at the time of the recording of this podcast because it's likely my thoughts do not age well um but as at the moment in august 2022 when this conversation is happening the pdp isn't putting forth its best foot in terms of really running home the, um, the, the weaknesses and the failings of the current uh, um, administration, right? Instead, it's been, it's, it has been and still is being distracted by this needless, um, unprofitable, um, energy-sapping um, exercise in fighting, which it's currently grappling with. And so from that standpoint, you can see um, Wiki's continued um, furore at the, the results of the presidential primary is sapping the PDP of uh, much needed energy, much needed um, airtime and newspaper space, much needed publicity, and certainly um, much needed um, political campaigning discipline, which um, the party might probably be better served deploying in, in its pursuit um in in its pursuit and in its aim to wrest the the presidency from from the apc so 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 where all this leaves wiki what is exact game plan is what is post 2023 his immediate post 2023 future is and how exactly he can compel the party to um to be more amenable to his interests and to his desires <clears throat> is as unclear as a December morning weather forecast in Nigeria in the thick of Hamathan. So um, I'm really at a loss as to how he gets out of this with any semblance of any semblance of a victory. Thank you, Ikenosit. I suppose the, the follow-up question to the issues you've raised are. Rotimi Amechi is also in the picture in River State. So if you're saying Wike might conspire to deliver River State to the APC, then how does Amechi fit in the picture? So Tinubu does a deal with Wike, then does that cut out Amechi? Or does that mean Amechi and Wike have 
to reconcile, to work together to push out the PDP? Or, or how, how do you see the, the arrangement working? Um, so so the, the premise that underpins your question, right, is, is, is certainly um, an important one to wrestle with. Because um, however, you, however you splice the political dynamics, right, in reverse, and um, it, it, it always has been, and it, it currently is an evolving one, uh, it would be a marriage of convenience. It would definitely be a partnership of strange bedfellows. Um, but why I would want your listeners to not completely rule out that possibility, I'm not saying it's imminent, I'm not, I, I, I'm simply making the argument that it appears to be Wiki's only realistic play right now, um, is that the APC itself is in many respects, it certainly was in 2015, and when you certainly look at the dynamics of the Tinubu-Buhari relationship, for example, the, the APC has formed in the game in cobbling together um, strange, unwieldy, seemingly contradictory political elements under one roof and finding a way of making it work. The, at its heart, the APC was a marriage of convenience that was put together. Um, my friend Chetan Wanze, who is also a friend of the podcast, likes to think of the APC as a special purpose vehicle, a political special, special purpose vehicle, right? Um, of interest who were only united and solely um, motivated by their desire to kick out the PDP, right? And go lock Jonathan out of office in, in, 20, in 2015. Um, and, and so the APC has form in the game, right? In putting together these this sorts of arrangements and Tinubu has also shown himself to be something of a, of a deal maker. It's not, um, one of the, it's not one of the signature political um, talents that he's, he's known for, but he, over the course of his political career and when it has suited his interest, he has found a way of making it work. And we do know right from some of the media reporting right um and also through working some back channels that wiki has um wiki has had conversations right with uh, apc type elements i mean you know the well-publicized visit of um of babachir lawa and yakubu dogara is instructive in that direction although lawal and dogara are malcontents themselves right within the APC because of their well-stated opposition to the that their party's choice of a of a Muslim Muslim ticket. Um, perhaps more crucially, Wiki has not completely ruled out the possibility of either joining the APC or working in a way that is not detrimental to the APC's interests, as he did in in as he somewhat did in twenty. 19, um, which you have already, um, I think it was either you or Phoenix, right, um, I, um, and pointed out. And so um, when you put all of these things together, you do have the makings, I think, of a potential bombshell political um, deal that, you know, might already be in the works, but certainly 
um, makes hypothetical sense, right, for Wiki, because there are certainly, one, the APC has, uh, just by the sheer power of incumbency, and probably by a shade, has the more realistic chance of um, being in charge of the presidency. And as a result, it is in a politically superior position to the APC where it can offer Wiki some carrots. And obviously, Amici would have to be um, compensated and accounted for in this dynamic. And um, say what you want to say about Amici. He's been one of the president's consistent um, political backers and supporters. He's standing and his record in winning the APC has never really been in doubt, right, from the get-go from 2015 till date. And, and so in, in that respect, his interests would have to, to be reckoned with. But there are things that you can offer Wiki, I believe, that does not necessarily mean that you would have to cut out or shrink the size of Rotimi Amici's pie. Um, and so from that standpoint, there is an entry point, right, that the APC has, right, um, through which it can, it, it can, it can get um, um, Wiki on board. The final bit I should mention is that all of this, of course, has been made possible by the PDP's really terrible, terrible management of the entire situation. So while Wiki has very little political leverage, right, um, over the party in this respect, the party can still unilaterally, as a matter of course, um, constructively and proactively offer some form of rapprochement to a political figure who still remains one of their most important elements, one of their most important financial backers, certainly one of their most vocal um, advocates, right? And Wiki is the kind of person that if you wanted to run a strong campaign, can serve as a very, very useful and a very valuable political surrogate, right? Um, and, and the fact that the PDP has allowed this, um, this rift to, to fester and, um, um, and, to, and to coagulate, right, um, up until this point is really a, a statement as well as an indictment of how far that, that party has fallen from its heyday when it was very good at political problem solving and getting all of its stakeholders on board and on side to its interests. And so in that respect, I think in the end, um, the PDP also um, has a, um, the, the PDP should also share um, a healthy amount of the, um, of, of the lion's body in, in ensuring that its weekly, its candidacy and its prospects in 2023 have gotten to the point where it is right now. Thank you, Kemeset, for shedding light on, the, on these issues. It's going to be quite interesting to see which way the negotiations go, whether the APC can persuade Wike to go with them or the PDP can offer him a satisfactory uh, accommodation. But anyway, to our next topic, which is the 
CEPLAT acquisition of ExxonMobil's assets in Nigeria. We initially assumed it was announced by Buhari, Buhari himself that he had approved the $1.3 billion acquisition. And then within a few days, uh, Buhari also then announced that actually he had uh, disapproved of the, uh, the transaction. So, Phoenix, can you, can you talk us through this? Because I remember seeing the announcement of Buhari's handle when he announced, when he said he had approved it. It seemed like a very detailed uh, analysis of how he reached his decision. It gave the impression that this was a very presidential uh, president. And then within a day or two, he's basically gone back on himself. So is, can you talk us through what is going on, Phoenix? You know, Michael, this is one of the times when I wish I could actually talk us through what is going on. But, you know, I, I, I would say I'm surprised because, I mean, I mean, those, those who have followed um, happenings in the oil sector might also know about uh, similar incident when ADAX's uh, license was revoked, then unrevoked, then, you know, revoking. <laughs> but, I mean, this flopping, and it's just stunning. And to, to talk to okay to provide context, um, those who know, I mean, the way things work in the in the oil sector typically is Nigeria has um, um, joint operating agreements with um, a number of uh, oil companies, but uh, primarily the make the oil majors. And in this instance, you have uh, NNPC and ExxonMobil have uh, this agreement where they are operating together uh, certain um, oil fields. Um, and it's quite lucrative, but of course we've seen that a number of the oil majors want to leave um, the onshore um, areas for, for obvious reasons, um, you know, with all the issues they're having with managing uh, in the Niger Delta and things like that. And ExxonMobil uh, is the latest to want to make that move. Um, and of course, they then uh, started shopping this around and Seplat, uh, you know, showed interest, made a bid, which Exxon is happy with. Um, and of course, they then needed to get approval from uh, the regulatory authority in Nigeria and the power as, as I understand it, from what I've read so far, uh, resides with the Minister for Petroleum. Um, in, in this case, uh, Buhari is both the President of the Federal Republic and the Minister for Petroleum. And <clears throat> having, uh, you know, gone through, as you said, all of the motions and, uh, you know, received all of the submissions, uh, he didn't need fit to approve the uh, deal to go ahead for Exxon to sell their stake to um, to Seplat. Of course, the I mean, we now are on, operating under a different uh, regime with the PIA passed, um, and so the NUPRC, which is the regulatory body, um, had raised an objection and said that this is not uh, meant to go ahead. But I believe that, I mean, what we heard was that Buhari had overruled that 
I mean, having consulted with the Attorney General and uh, and uh, legal, gotten legal advice that the deal was kosher and it was okay and it was in the best interest of Nigeria for it to go ahead. But then, and so of course they made public Buhari's uh, approval, but then <laughs> the regulator went publicly to say no, that they, that they, um, the um, the refusal to approve, which they had earlier communicated to ExxonMobil, who is the, who is the partner. I mean, Seplat is a third party, so they really have no business with Seplat, um, which they had communicated to ExxonMobil, still stands regardless of the public approval that the president and minister for petroleum had given. And so, there became the uh, consternation, especially when we then saw later that Buhari would then walk back his approval and say, no, the deal cannot go ahead, blah, blah, blah. And of course, he blamed it on a lack of coordination, <laughs> which just made, made it even more farcical. Um, now, what we are hearing is that the, originally, I mean, that N, I mean, NMPC, there is a... Um, an action that the NMPC had taken against uh, ExxonMobil where they were claiming that uh, they have a right of first refusal um, in such an instance that their partner wants to sell uh, the stake. Now, those who have seen the agreement, the joint operating agreement say that that's not the case, but I'm not a lawyer, so, and I haven't seen the agreement, so I, I don't want to be speculating based on hearsay. But to the extent that the president um, uh, in his capacity as the Minister of Petroleum, to whom um, the authority still resides in, had given that uh, approval. It is, it's just stunning that they would then create such a, um, such a, a, just throwing the country into further disrepute. Because this, I mean, this just sends all sorts of wrong messages. One, like we don't think things through and, and you know, make sure that the right stakeholders are, that a proper discussion is had um, before a decision is made. And once the decision is made, an executive decision has been made for a regulator to then jump out and, you know, you know go against that and, you know, and then for the so the decision maker to backtrack and on the basis of oh there was lack of coordination just sends the wrong messages to to the uh, to to the not only the uh, stakeholders in the deal but to the wider wider public uh, and particularly the investing public especially at the time that Nigeria needs uh, you know help and support in uh, in, in in boosting the the oil sector and the economy at large. We know that that's why the PIA uh, we finally saw light is to bring investment into that area. And if if you're, you know, if you're creating this sort of policy flip flop, um, it really doesn't fill people with confidence to bring their money in and see this kind of drama unfold. Um, uh, you know. <laughs> Seplat is an is is a largely indigenous uh, co company, so it, uh, you know it's also one of those that you would want 
you know, to 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 be seen to be you know, you know uh, taking on from these oil majors. So it remains to be seen to and to hear further. I mean, where where this will go, and and if NNPC really wanted to exercise their right of first refusal, let's see if they if they truly had that right, and why didn't ExxonMobil do do the right thing then? Which will surprise me because let's not forget this is a company that is regulated in the U.S. and we know the kinds of laws that they are subject to. So if such an agreement exists, why would they decide to flout that agreement and not go through that, that process um, and instead decide to go and talk to a third party? And, and so it's, for me, it's just one of those things. But I think one other thought that came to me as I read the story, I was like, you know, when they talk about lame dog president, this is exactly what he means. And you get to a point in, in the in the final days and final weeks and months of a presidency, and you begin to see that yes, the power has shifted and people are, are emboldened. It might be for the right reasons. Now, let me not let me also say that look, if, for yes, I hear the NNPC angle. I've heard the NURP, NUPRC, and I really want to hear more. And, and I'm sure in chemistry it will give us some more insight. And perhaps we may find out that it was for good reason, but it just tells you that, look, we, we are in a situation, um, and, and the final topic that we will talk about also highlights that we're in a situation where we have a commander-in-chief, a, a president um, who really has lost hold totally of, of the country, and things are in, uh, in, uh, in a state of uh, um, chaos and and you know, it's, I mean, I, 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 you can't even point to other actors who might help to, you know, stabilize and keep things uh, from totally falling apart. I mean, the CBN is a mess. Uh, the finance minister is out of her depth. So you're like, I mean, who's going to keep this economy going with this kind of lack of leadership? Um, and this, uh, this issue that seems like there is the, the lack of coordination, the lack of capability that we've called out over the last seven years is now truly manifesting. Uh, there was a recent report that I read that said that the economic uh, team are working at cross purposes. This is that this is this is the outcome of that kind of reports that we read and we see, and it just you know puts us in a very bad shape. We've just seen. Um, inflation report for July, telling us that we're at uh, 19.6, basically 20% headline inflation. We are in, in a very serious situation. And then you have things like this that should send a positive signal about the fact that we're ready to do business and the need to mess it up. Thank you, Phoenix. The chemist, I want to bring you in at this point to get some clarity on some of the issues Phoenix has raised, because one of the things he said is that it shows that there's this lack of coordination in Buhari's government. But a number of people have said that this goes beyond a lack of coordination in the government, that it seems Buhari himself 
is suffering from a lack of coordination because I have to go back to the tweet. It was a very detailed announcement from Buhari. He basically is the equivalent of reading a, a, a judicial pronouncement where a judge takes you through three or four paragraphs explaining his thought process and how I arrived at a decision. And then for the judge the next day to tell you that actually, no, I've changed my mind. It, it makes you wonder like, well, what is going on within this judge himself? So on a, on a personal level, can you, is, is, I'm trying to find the polite way to ask the question, but is everything okay with Buhari? Because this is very, it's very strange for you to give a detailed announcement explaining how you've approved something. And then the next day, you literally reverse yourself and act as if nothing has happened. So is, 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 are you, is it that Buhari doesn't know what he's doing or pe different people are telling him different things and he's just announcing based on who has whispered things to his ears? And then the follow-up question to that is the fact that, as Phoenix touched upon, ExxonMobil is an international, a sort of multinational type of business. They are floated on the... New York Stock Exchange. So I'm sure this must have, a, have, had, have had an impact on uh, investor confidence when on one moment you think you're, the company you've invested in has sold its asset and the next minute you're told it hasn't. So can, can you sort of address these issues, Chemisit, starting from the first? Is, is, is everything okay with, with Buhari? All right. Um, so for some mystifying reason, uh, develop the hiccup meet, meet conversation so um I'll, I'll try and talk through it uh but apologies if there are some pauses to, uh, while i um, while i share my thoughts um where to start on this particular story i mean there are any number of starting points like i think I, I, so so there are two things one we need to remind ourselves of uh, of one odd but salient and uh, and relevant um, context to this story, which is that Buhari is not only the president of the Federal Republic of Nigeria, is also the minister of petroleum resources. And I think um, where the presidency aired in this. So first, the fait accompli, which the presidency tried to rest on in its backtracking of the original approval announcement was just nonsense. Um, and that's not a word I use often. Um, blaming it on a lack of coordination between the agencies is um, as close as you will get to just flat out lying about um, the the facts of um the, the facts that surround this particular uh development the, the simple fact of the matter remains that the minister of petroleum resources who also happens to be the president of the federal republic of nigeria seemed to have forgotten that the petroleum industry act was now in force now the Minister of Petroleum Resources under the old Petroleum Act, as well as other associated oil and gas legislation, and I'll know this because I've done oil and gas law, my, my, my training and my qualifications that are actually in law, um, offered the Minister of Petroleum Resources a wide 
variety of discretionary powers, especially with respect to industry regulation approvals um, and and the 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 and and basically the rights to consent to things like measures and acquisitions, as well as significant divestments or uh, divestments of assets, right? It awfully seems that under the pre-PIA paradigm, the Minister of Petroleum Resources would be ordinarily seized of the, the, the right, right, to um, to approve of a transaction of this nature. Um, one of the things that the Petroleum Industry Act for all of its faults and foibles did was that it wrested some of those discretionary powers away from the Petroleum Minister and invested it in um, a multiplicity of agencies which were peeled out of the, the NNPC behemoth, right, of which the um, the Nigerian uh, Upstream Petroleum Regulatory Commission, right, was one of them. What simply happened in this case was that the commission, which had already communicated its non-approval of this transaction, which let's, uh, let our listeners not forget, was first announced in February, right, of this year. So this has been an ongoing sort of low-level industry you know mostly industry contained drama which has been going on from february up until now um the the commission had already exercised that power um apparently legally and validly under the pia now there is ongoing court litigation which uh, phoenix rightly pointed out um, which was instituted by the nnpc specifically around this transaction and around the fact that the, the NNPC argues that it has not been allowed to exercise its right of first refusal agreement. All of the legal niceties around whether um, a right of first refusal was implied in the intrinsic nature of the joint venture agreement that the NNPC has with these operator license holders, or whether it had to be explicitly spelled out in the joint operating agreement, which um, is in essence the the actual document um, on which the the JV right rests, is neither here or there, right? The fact of the matter remains that there is subsisting litigation which has not been dispensed of by the courts, and in that wise, um, the presidency then coming into the fray to exercise a power it did not have under Nigerian law, <coughs> um, just smacks of, you know, legal, um, it, it just smacks of impunity uh, right at this point. The second point that you made, and, 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 and so as to what really is going on with the president in this, in this regard, um, I honestly can't. I honestly can't say it is mystifying. The the only thing that is really clear is that the presidency um, has the presidency acted in a way it would have ordinarily acted legally um, pre the PIA, and it seems to have forgotten that 
it signed into law a new legal regime that does not allow it to, uh, to get up to its old habits. And so in that sense, there are important um, regulatory risk uh, type questions which investors would be closely looking at, right, as a way of measuring and radiating how the Nigerian business operating environment um, is constructed, which brings me to your second question, right, about um, what, this, what this means in the end for economic actors in, in this environment. And the fact of the matter remains that Nigeria has always been a high regulatory risk environment to operate in, in the best of times. And this has just elevated that risk, risk profile in the negative column uh, uh, that much more. And I think one of the real consequences of this decision is that uh, when the original approval was communicated, the international media and investors uh, took it for granted. I mean, I mean, they took the presidency at their own words, right? When the official Twitter handle of a sovereign state tweets that a particular decision has been made, and as you rightly pointed out, Michael, um, that announcement went into considerable detail around the um, around the rationale for for that decision, only for it to walk back on that decision a few days later. It does raise in the mind of a lot of actors, chief amongst which are the investors, the investor community and the international media, about whether any, any edict or any directive or any communication that comes from the presidency should be taken at face value. And there are very important governance implications for people second guessing or having to fact check or having to verify or having to do a double check um, or, or, or basically adopting a sit and wait posture, right? Um, when the presidency does make um, an intervention on, on any given matter, it slows down the wheel of governance. It, um, it, um, it disproportionately distorts business decision-making um, as, well as, um, as well as business planning. Um, and um, investors don't like to to have to labor under those sort of under those sort of headaches. It's one thing if this was the NNPC or if this was even the NUPRC itself that was you know making this vote face. I mean, um, yes, there have been important consequences, uh, notwithstanding. But we have we have gotten inured and we've gotten used to say the central bank of nigeria you know um, embarking on policy somersaults and you know policy fits and um uh, fits and turns right it's quite another thing for the presidency itself to be indulging in that kind of behavior and so um from from that standpoint this is concerning on every level this just validates the um, the business strategy, uh, many would say that the multinationals have approved, uh, that the multinationals have um, adopted in in trying to walk themselves out of, you know, this very high risk, 
um, environment. It was quite extraordinary that the, the president of uh, Royal Dutch Shell um, said in his announcement that Shell was going to divest it. Um, Nigerian assets, that Shell's future is not oil. It, it, it takes an extraordinary leap of understanding that is grounded in um, nearly 70 years of operational experience in a country like Nigeria for the head of one of the world's biggest oil and gas multinationals to justify his leaving your market by saying that the future of his company is not in is not in the industry that his company operates in, right? And I think that just summarizes everything that needs to be told. That I mean, that needs to be said about um, how Nigeria is such a dysfunctional place to get anything done. About how Nigeria is a difficult place in which to do business, even if you have the resources, you have the expertise, you have the experience and you have the, the will, right, to make things happen. And, and, about, and, and this, again, reiterates the lesson which Nigerians first need to imbibe, and then we need to mirror back and, um, you know, and, and in essence, compel our elected representatives, and by extension, the regulators that they appoint and supervise. This is the fundamental lesson they should get. Regulation is important. Regulation is not just for wonks or nerds or geeks or people who mirror in the minutiae of governance. Regulation has a real world impact. And if it is mistreated, or in this case, if it is treated with a levity which borders on incompetence, people will pay, right, in their pockets, and in some cases with their lives, right? Um, oh, yes. Um, no, sorry. And, and so, so, sorry to cut you, okay. Kevin, because of uh, time, but I think the, the general points you've made have been very profound. I'm just amazed that despite the fact that we have an attorney general and the army of lawyers, working at the petroleum ministry and the presidency no but people seem to be making decisions without knowing what the law says it's uh it's quite a, a surprising development but onto our final topic because of time it's the the governor or well, actually on on twitter on social media he's now being called the co-governor of kaduna state because apparently he shares the office with uh, iswap or terrorist state Kaduna State. So the co-governor, as, as he's called, of Kaduna State has written a memo to Buhari highlighting the security or insecurity crisis in his state. Phoenix, can you talk us through the, the key aspects of this memo he's written? I mean, basically, I mean, if I wrote a memo to, I, I mean, uh, well, he didn't deny the memo. I understand that uh, the press reached out to him. He just said that he was supposed to be confidential. So uh, I would, I would, I would assume that he he did write the memo, uh, and it was meant. I think it was said to have gone out in July. Uh, and the the gist of the memo is that I mean he was 
making the president aware that um, terrorists have taken over uh, parts of Kaduna and are, uh, uh, you know, uh, putting in place their own authority, making uh, rules uh, for the people to follow. I find it difficult to say laws because, I mean, they, they don't have any legitimacy. So to my mind, I mean, they can, they can make rules and, and things like that, but basically they're enforcing their own, their own rules and, and basically forming a parallel administration within the state. And he was, you know, making the president aware. Um, and if we all recall, I mean, he had written something similar uh, not, not too long ago and it, and it been, over the last couple of years, we've seen Rufai call out uh, uh, security issues in Kaduna um, over time. Um, and it, we, we've, we've talked about Kaduna and the anomaly that it is, that is the insecurity situation there, given um, the military establishment is the same Kaduna that we've seen the Nigerian Defense Academy attacked. It's the same Kaduna that we've seen um, other military installations. We've seen, you know, the Abuja Kaduna rail line attacked. I mean, with, with some of the people still in captivity. Um, of course, over the course of Erufai's uh, tenure in office, we've seen all sorts of uh, fighting and, and attacks. But this issue with terrorists really brings it to a head. It, it you know, speaks to the fact that this war on uh, on terrorism and particularly on, on Boko Haram um, has not been won, um, in spite of all the all the uh, promises uh, and all the um, lives and and monies spent prosecuting. Um, this more than a decade-long campaign, and and the fact that you know it continues to be an issue and is now looking to consume a state as uh, as important as Kaduna State is is really uh, you know um, is it, really disappointing. But one other thing that one must also bear in mind is. Of course, this, these issues are there, but of course, we're also in the political season. And so the, the fact that this memo got leaked also speaks to where the country is at and the, the fact that it, it is never, um, you know, beyond these folks to play politics with things like this. Um, and so one, one wonders whose interests it is to, to have this this out there. Does it embarrass uh, uh, Buhari? Yes, it does. Does it put Erufine in a good light? No, I don't think so. I mean, we've, we've talked severally about the fact that, I mean, his, his state is in a, much, in, a, in a much worse security situation. And in as much as, yes, we all agree that the box stops at Buhari's table being the commander-in-chief and this kind of unitary military and police structure that we run. We also know that um, Rufai's comments and actions have, have also fed insecurity in the state. 
Um, I mean, does it help the APC? No, it doesn't. Uh, and 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 so I mean, you begin to wonder, you know, uh, how it leaked, why it leaked, what has Buhari done about it? Is this the only way to get his attention? You know, maybe maybe Elfai sent a memo. There was no response, and therefore decided that maybe it's necessary to leak so that the guy can, so that the news can truly get to to Buhari and something gets done. Um, I mean, it remains to be seen, but um, it's 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 a sad state of affairs, and it just explains exactly where we are uh, with this never-ending crisis and the, the failure of insecurity, especially under this administration. And, and what has gone into it uh, so far. Thank you, Phoenix. Let me go to Kemasit for the final question. Hey, Kemasit, as Phoenix has said, we've spent trillions of Naira since Buhari came into office. Uh, You saw what Garbashehu said in an interview a few days ago that they've given these terrorists everything they've wanted, but somehow the terrorists have refused to release the passengers being held hostage in the uh, railway kidnap saga. And as an observer looking from the outside, it seems as if we have a Mr. Bean-style approach to security management. Nobody seems to know what is going on. They can't tackle kidnappers. Terrorists are roaming at will. Governors are not in control of their states anymore. So I suppose the question is, what, what, what is really going on? Because are you saying the Nigerian army is, is incapable of defeating these terrorists? Is that what the issue is? Or, or can you, based on your own research and analysis, can you tell us what, what really is going on with the security situation in Nigeria? In Kemesit? First up, I should say, Michael, you're rude for saying that Nigeria has adopted Mr. Bean's approach towards security management. I think, I think it's fair to say. Um, but um, uh, yeah, but away from that, I think the thing is this, right? Um, security management, it would surprise you um, <clears throat> within the Nigerian context. Um, there's very little coordination. I think that's the, that, I think that's the big missing gap. Uh, like Phoenix said, you've got lots of resources that, that has been plowed into security management. Um, but the deep underlying structural issues that continue to hamper the security services in addressing this problem in an intelligent and in a coherent manner um, remain and uh, policymakers aren't talking about that. And um, what still they do not intend to talk about uh, about that. N- Nigeria suffers from something that many other militaries uh, right across the world suffer, which is that um, they are designed and they are structured for a war that would, they will almost certainly never fight. Right? Um, the Nigerian security services are um, constructed and designed to deal with uh, symmetric nation-state type threats. Um, except, except you're in Eastern Europe or 
I think right now in the world, except you are in Eastern Europe or you were in the Middle East in the 2000s um, or you were the United Kingdom fighting Argentina, very few countries get into a state of armed conflict with other countries. What has been the dominant form of conflict um, over the later half of the 20th century and certainly um, during the course of the 21st century has been asymmetric warfare. And the Nigerian military, 13 years into an insurgency in its Northeast, four years into um, a fast evolving um, insurgent threat in its Northwest and um, assailed in every geopolitical zone by the twin threats of um, kidnap and gang rings, as well as elevated levels of other forms of criminality, um, has refused to reckon with that reality that we are never going to fight Cameroon, we're never going to fight Niger, we're never going to fight Chad. Our lot and our destiny is to deal with the Boko Harams and the Iswaps and the Ansaris of the world. Nigeria still does not have a joint security management committee in 2022. The, the service chiefs are only, they only have a collective in name only. We only call them the service chiefs because they tend to have um, general and joint meetings with the president. So oftentimes the only time when they are talking about operational strategy, right, amongst themselves is when they are reporting to the president. They report individually to the president. There is some coordination through the Office of the National Security Advisor, but that office has not been given the depth and the heft that it needs and it requires. And there is nothing akin to say the Joint Chiefs of Staffs. Right, for example, that you have in the United States or the security management committees, which are a feature of a pretty much every European nation state um, right now. It's worth noting that America and Europe lent those lessons during the coattails of the Second World War, right? And so the Joint Chiefs of Staff weren't a thing in the US until the Japanese attacked in 1941. Are you still there, Ikemesich? We seem to have lost you. Um, I am here, yeah. Um, oh, can you hear me? Okay, great. Oh, yeah, we can yeah. hear that. Okay, yeah. So um, I was trying to make the point that the United States, um, as well as the United Kingdom, learned in the face of, um, of new military threats during the Second World War that in order to win those fights, they needed to they needed effective coordination amongst their armed services because by the fundamental nature, the army and the Air Force and the Navy are preoccupied with fundamentally different operational areas. And so the approach is always likely to, to be different. Nigeria right now has 17 security agencies that don't talk to each other in an intelligent and in an intelligible manner, do not coordinate um, at a strategic and as well as at an operational level, and um, where things like resource sharing and resource 
and, and where things like resource sharing should be the order of the game, you've got resource competition amongst them. And so it's impossible, for example, to harness the strength of the copious amounts of intelligence that the intelligence services right um, have gathered. And, and, and let's be clear, Michael and Phoenix, we know where the threats are. We know the areas, the geographic spaces that they inhabit. In many cases, we know the personalities that are involved, but that absence of security coordination and the requisite lack of political will to force and operationally implement right, the kind of coordination that we need to, to coherently match and effectively deal with this threat is absent. And the real tragedy of the Buhari administration is that there was an opportunity for this current government to get that particular piece right and it hasn't gotten that and, and, and what we we've, we've had is you know resources that have gone down the drain lots of people who have been um, i mean lots of people but in effect a small circle compared to the wider nigerian population who have been enriched as a result of these moras and the continued perpetuation and expansion of the operational spheres of influence of these insurgent and terror groups. And it, it, it's, it's sad and unfortunate, but this current state of affairs is likely to remain an NGO for quite some time to come. Well, thank you, Kemerset, for shedding light on the issues. Yes. <laughs> I apologize to uh, Buhari for describing his government as Mr. Bean like uh, before they arrest me. I'm, I'm too, too young to go to prison. But anyway, our time is up. So firstly, I must thank you, Kemesit, for taking time out of your busy schedule to be here. Thank you, Phoenix, for co-hosting this podcast with me. And last but not least, thank you to our listeners for always giving us helpful feedback and being supportive. So until same time next week, I say have a fantastic seven days to everyone. Thanks, Michael. Thanks to Kemesit for joining us. And thank you, listeners. Have a, have a great week ahead. Bye, everyone.